welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, Tien joins us for a conversation all about the beautiful, gorgeous, and complicated ways our identities intersect. Together, we talk about their history of 13 years within the kink community, when non-monogamy is not intuitive, and navigating dom-sub power dynamics in non-monogamy. Y'all, TN is a very special person in my world, in my community, one that I love dearly, who I believe has an incredibly intelligent mind, and it shows in the multitude of things that they hold and understanding how their identities intersect and affect the various relationships in their life. It is very clear how beautiful their brain is, and I hope all of y'all enjoy the fun Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole of a conversation that Tian and I embark on together today. Y'all, tune in. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Can you start asking questions? Hi. My name's Tian. Yes, say who are you? Uh, I'm Tian. I am a, uh, I'm a queer, bisexual, non-binary, kinky person of color. I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. live in chicago mm-hmm. 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 yes i feel like we could break down that one sentence <laughs> for like <laughs> yeah. the next hour and a half yeah yeah yeah. is there anything that comes up specifically out of those identities that you'd like to extrapolate on for me i mean i'm interested to see where the questions go i think my identities are things that i bring to the table holistically by necessity right mm-hmm. like i can't like it's not easy for me specifically for Tien to like compartmentalize these different things that sure, I have yeah. into boxes and to not allow those to show up to the table in an organic way. Like yeah. I, I think like even with work, so much of like what is meaningful to me nowadays in work is being able to bring my authentic self to work. Mm. I think like there's a lot of things that I don't necessarily talk about at work as like a conscious way of you know avoiding conversations that like i don't want to have to run into questions or sure no that i don't want to answer like i don't like there might be questions that that draws that i don't want to answer but Mm -hmm. i think like it is important for me to still to feel like i'm able to show up to work and other parts of my life as this person who has many identities that interact in very complex ways mm-hmm, absolutely i'm curious then how do you show up authentically what does that look like for you there are a lot of well there's a couple of facets to it i think that visually i don't hide different things about myself like i mean i i think 
I did say to my manager when I started, because I work in consulting now, mm-hmm. like I was like, I have like tattoos and piercings and like they're not easy to like hide. Mm-hmm. And one of our values is celebrate authenticity. And he said, hey, like we believe in you. Therefore, no, our clients, the people you work with are going to believe in you as well. Yeah. And I mean, I've come to learn the truth in that visually in terms of using my pronouns, they, them pronouns in terms of identifying as bisexual and non-binary. I mean, like, I don't broadly say to anybody in particular that I'm non-monogamous or kinky at work. Like, if they wanted to ask me that, like, I wouldn't lie to them. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel a need to hide it or I don't feel a need to, you know, repress that part of myself. Yeah. Um, I think I avoid talking about it out of inconvenience. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't want to be inconvenienced by, like, having to answer hard questions about that part of my life and having to think about, you know, what way to approach that, especially to people who might not know that, that feels laborious to me. Yeah, it's work. But it's not something that I would lie about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm sure when sometimes when people ask, there's like a whole question of like, do you teach? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I think more of the questions will be like, why do you do that? Why do you like that? Mm. Like, you know, like, does your partner know about it? And I'm just like, well, you know, even just like saying these out loud, I'm like, God, I'm tired right now. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, but it, it's just like, there's a sensible answer to all of these. And it's not, you know, I got to move on with the rest of my life. Like, I, I feel like, you know, yes. somebody, they can go to Google and look yeah. these oh, up themselves. Yes. Like, but I just need to like, I just need to move on. I don't know. An example of that is like when I was, uh, when I started working in technology, because I spent most of my life, adult life, like bartending or working hotels or teaching high school or something like, but I think like when I was starting to work in technology at my first job, like I, <laughs> I was participating in Hump Film Festival as somebody who was on camera for a scene that showed up in that festival. So the festival is like, okay, it's dan savage's festival from the stranger Mm -hmm. celebrating sex in cinema in video and celebrating maybe like an amateur spirit around porn yeah and um i was in a video and i think i like no hit my face but (laughs) it's really easy to recognize me from my hair and my tattoos and uh, my boss's boss, and probably my boss too, and multiple other people at work saw me and recognized me in the in the film. And I'm like, well, I'm not trying to hide this part of my life. Maybe my intention is I'm trying not to draw attention sure, yeah. to this part of my life where I'm getting fisted by two people on screen in leather on the sling, like, you know. Fuck yeah screaming my lungs out but like i i don't i don't i'm not i'm certainly not trying to hide it anymore mm, how did that go uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm well, just trying to imagine so my boss's boss was like <laughs> i i think like somehow so the the video was no the central theme was scrabble uh-huh. right and like there's this couple 
who were playing Scrabble, and they would put these naughty words on the Scrabble board, and they would kind of like imagine a scenario afterwards. And this is where like a whole bunch of other people came into play, but they would imagine a scenario afterwards where they were acting out or like incorporating that word Mm -hmm. into their um, sexual interactions. And so there was like clowns, and there was blood, and there was bunch of other things yeah. i can't remember now and mine was fisting mm. and afterwards when my boss and other people in the company watched it like one day like for some reason i was talking about board games and oh, no. talking about like a board game night or something like and about going to a board game night and he was like oh are you gonna play like scrabble and i was like that is odd and i get the sense that you're (gasps) kind of like i i don't know that like (laughs) you're trying to get a reaction out of me because you know that about me and i confirmed with him like months afterwards that he did in fact see me in hump and also a lot of people saw me in hump and i think at the time like i was in seattle and there was a ton of people in chicago who were just like messaging me and it was like oh like you did great in hump good job yeah yeah, yeah. fisted and surviving yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 that's such an interesting way for a boss to like communicate that to you is <laughs> like waited until there was a conversation about board games to directly throw that one in there and like just sat on it i mean i think he's <laughs> he's he's clever he's yeah no tricksy tricksy he's like he's a lot of things and i think that i'm i mean like when i think about how he would (laughs) bring that up i think that is the way he would bring it up that's so cool Mm -hmm. i didn't know you've done that before yeah huh interesting i've done i've done more than probably a bit of porn in my life tell me more i'm I'm listening you know i have a very very long history with kink i've Largely, I've always been involved in the kink scene when I was, you know, since I've turned 18. And I think a long time ago, I was like, you know, willing to experiment and like with kink and interacting with people in power dynamics and trying new things out. I think sometimes that happened. I don't know if it ever happened organically as a result of like just randomly going on a date, but sometimes that happened in the club. Mm-hmm. sometimes that happens by reaching out to people and being like hey you know just like trying to like find people and date them sure and sometimes it happened as a result of people being like hey i'm filming this thing and i would love for you to do this so notably i identify as submissive and there was this person who i knew who was a friend of mine and she said hey Tian, I'm wanting to shoot a video where somebody's getting cuckolded. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't like cuckolding. I don't like really enjoy that at all. Like, it's not really my thing. Could you explain what that is? Yeah, Something? cuckolding yeah. is a fetish and a... It, so cuckolding itself is an act that a lot of people fetishize. Mm-hmm. It's maybe like very prominent in like some ways of slicing and dicing the kink scene um specifically with men uh who are submissive and women who are dominant it's a very heteronormative way of looking at it but mm. the act itself is watching somebody else 
have sex with your partner mm. without necessarily like. Oftentimes, I think conventionally, how it shows up is, you know, a man who is submissive will watch his partner, who is a woman, who is a dominant woman, have sex with another man. I think that's like a really common convention and a really common way in which cuckolding as a desire, as something that people try out, as something that people hear about, as something that maybe conventional porn、sure. will sometimes. Display is is played out. Yeah,、um, I think there's a lot of like variance to what this looks like in terms of gender, in terms of like scenario. But like that's a really common one, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of ways that you think about it. There's cuckweening, which is like you imagine、mm-hmm. like you know how that might play out in terms of like people's gender identity and and the folks who identify on either part of you no know, any any kind of like. Corner of this scenario, but the person who has sex with the partner、mm-hmm. and is being watched by the other partner conventionally、mm-hmm. is described as a bull, b u l l. And I was having a conversation with this person. I was like, "Hey, listen, like this isn't really my kink. Like I'm not, I don't really like this. I don't really get off on it.、Mm-hmm. And I, I just like don't want to." No, experience that as like the submissive person, and she was like, "Oh, like I actually had you in mind for the bull," and I was like, "Oh, wow, that is not what I was expecting." Like, it's like, and I like I agreed to it, and I was like, "All right, I could I could try this," and it was、mm-hmm. kind of weird because I showed up to this person's place, and the person who is being cuckolded,、mm-hmm. cuck, was just like, I mean, like. Conventions, like aside, conventions like don't really matter, right? But、yeah. I think it was hilarious that like this person is a lot bigger than me,、mm. a lot more masculine than me, and I'm kind of like this like thin, like twinky, like Asian <laughs> kid, boyish looking person who is acting as a bull in this、mm-hmm. case, and I was just like, oh, this is hilarious, a little comedic.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yeah. is this is this is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So you did it. Yes, and that is out there somewhere. I do not know where it is.、Uh, I know that it is being sold, so you have to pay to see it. I don't. I don't think I remember even where to find it. How do you it. not have links to your porn? I know. I know. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there is there is something out there that was recorded in 2008 or something, and there is a very young, very twinky looking. Asian boy like acting as a bull to this like very masculine buff guy. <laughs> wow. Okay, I would like to see all of this. Have a link if you can find it. Yeah, I'll try. I I I don't think I'd be able to find it easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't even remember what name I used. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I feel like you said that from knowing you, said you'd been in the kink community for ten years. Is it longer than that? Yeah, so I'm 33,、yeah. and I was one of those people who knew that by the time I turned 18, I had known for several years that I was going to go to a munch, and the munch is a very low stakes social gathering where people, kinky people, get together and eat, drink, and talk about their lives, connect with each other. It is definitely the 
intention isn't play, mm -hmm. but it is like a way for the community to gather. Sure. And I had known by the time I was 18 that I was going to go to a munch. I did go to a munch when I was 18. And so if we take that as as one of the bookends, then I've been in the scene for 13 years. Wow. As a 33-year-old coming up to 14 years soon. Hmm. And I don't know. It depends on like how long, right? Like I guess like in terms of like being on the internet and like sure, knowing this sure, about myself. Sure. Like, I've known that I was kinky before I knew what sex was. Wow. As far as I've had access to the internet, which is a long time as a millennial, like I've known that. Yeah. I've been involved in, you know, reading about this, like communities, forums, like chats, like, you know, yeah. um, and so it's been, it's been a while. So how did you know? Like, what were the things that stood out to you? I think when I was a kid, before I knew what sex was or what sex could involve, mm -hmm. I knew that I found a lot of eroticism around, specifically around just being in positions where I was experiencing a power dynamic with someone else. And maybe mm -hmm. specifically a power dynamic where I was submissive to somebody else. When we play tag, God, I really love being tagged. I, I just remember like, you know, when somebody was mean to me at school, like, I felt like I kind of liked that. And it felt erotic to me. Sorry, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it felt erotic mm -hmm. to me that I wanted that to happen. Mm. Um, and then I kind of learned about what sex was. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can quite talk about this broadly to people. And then I think after a while, I was able to, like, put more of the pieces together and understand. It wasn't... I, I don't even remember as an internet baby like when i understood that this was something that other people wanted mm. and something that other people did and gathered around and maybe that there was even like a long history around it that stemmed from folks in lgbtq circles like that there was you know maybe a proud history around it like i i didn't know that i don't know when i knew that but it wasn't long until I knew that as a result of the internet. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm being super eloquent right now. You're being 100% uh, real, which is the <laughs> best thing to be real, like right? Like right. that's what that's what you're doing. So no, it's great. That's really cool. I think it's like amazing that you had this connection to your eroticism at a young age and like could feel that. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people do right yeah. like i think that around for example gay leather you know when i spent time in gay leather like people talked about how they had felt this for so long in their life i think that there is more repression mm. and that is by necessity i think when you fear for your life as a lot of these folks did like you'll repress some of that and I think I was lucky in the sense that, like, very early on, as a millennial who had access to the internet, I could put more puzzle pieces together and understand the words and terminologies and concepts and ways in which people gathered around this as uh, something that felt true to them. Whereas I think a lot of folks, even my age nowadays, don't have that opportunity. Yeah. They never knew about it. Mm -hmm. or they never like pursued it even if they were similar to my experience right. people who felt this for a very long time for as long as they can remember mm. yeah that's a whole yeah do we have kinks that like 
we've just suppressed because of not knowing the community existed, not having models, you know, or ways to interact with that energy. I mean, yeah, I think I I eventually came to realize as well that like not only did I have kinks, yeah, and had things that I really I don't know for lack of a better way of talking about it like got off on yeah but eventually i also identified as a kinky person not a kinky person as in someone who has kinks but someone who needs to at times engage in that in order to have a meaningful interaction romantic or sexual or otherwise Mm. or also as somebody who needed to kind of like seek out community and seek out like other people who practice this even if they weren't compatible with me i felt that too like i still go to munches i still go to events i still interact with a lot of people who i'm frankly not compatible with because like there's a part of me that just needs to be around people who are able to see this and nod their heads and say yes i get it i don't necessarily have to get exactly why you like what you like or no even be like compatible or like aligned to that like but i understand that like this is something that you seek out and want and need because i have the same that's the same truth for myself yeah which is super huge right the ability to be seen like Mm -hmm. as someone who's not been in the kink community you know for that amount of time or had any language in that i cannot when you say these things like see you in a way of understanding your lived experience in the way that they can yeah i think there's part of this part of this is certainly like hey being observed and having people be able to like meet me on the page that i'm at is important but there is also just this very internalized experience and solo experience I have of being around people where I'm like, well, in a lot of ways, no one's preventing me from being more of myself, but I feel like I can be more of myself. I can be, I I feel like I can be more of Tien. Mm. Even if no one is saying you can't be Tien. Like it's, it's very much something that I realized when I was in different parts of my life, especially when I was in Seattle, where I would, like I just like never was able to feel like I could be my whole self wow. around people not because they wouldn't accept this or because like they like they wouldn't hear it but I I just I don't think that they understood how important it was to me and so it was a very kind of like self-imposed lack of connection that mm-hmm. I put myself in but and maybe like a very unconscious one but like A lot of it for me was like, I think I felt really lonely in Seattle because I was like, oh, I want to feel like I can be around more of these people who feel this way and are able to see that in me. Mm -hmm. I can't be my full self. Mm. If that makes sense. It does. I'm thinking about a ton of like psychodynamic theories over here about and like just the ideas of like relatedness and what it means to like just thinking about how like people and our relationships act as mirrors right and in these relationships because of their understanding of the same interests value systems experiences they're able to see you in a way that you see yourself better like it's a clearer mirror than some other ones maybe yeah i i it 
I mean, I remember what those moments felt like. Mm. And it's also, you know, I will, like, happily say that, like, you know, as I said before, like, I'm at work nowadays and, like, I feel like I do connect and engage mm. with people. Yeah, that's a good point, yep. Like, I do connect and engage with them, even though, like, I'm not intentionally introducing, like, conversation right. or anything about, like, that part of my life. Mm. I'm not pulling that into our interaction in right. any way whatsoever. Right, right, right. But I think that a lot of why I feel like I can do that is because of the way I fill my cup in the rest of my life. Mm. Right? Like, nowadays, with the intentionality of not only pursuing relationships both romantic and otherwise that allows me to like play with these power dynamics and these kinks and fetishes i have but like also just like participating in community and like being seen and feeling like i i you know can be around people who like uh, you know just look at me and are like yeah i get it mm -hmm, makes mm -hmm. sense yeah so it's almost like Yes, you have these relationships, you know, thinking about work that like you are authentic, you do show up. And it's not that they're less fulfilling, I guess they're less identity forming. I don't you know what I mean? Like, like, you have those relationships with, with a purpose of work and your fullness there. I, I don't I'm trying to find language to describe the yeah, differences. I, I mean, I think like it's identity forming in different ways, yeah, right? Totally like, is. I mean, maybe there are identities I didn't share at the very beginning that I do yeah, mentor. No, feel right. Like I am stepping into a place in my life where I mentor people professionally more. I do a lot more coaching, a lot right. more developing tracks in which people will grow into. And I think like at the same time, like I feel like I'm only able to do what I do now because I've had experiences in my life that were very validating for me around my other identities yes right? yes like, yes i mean i think like to my point earlier on it's like hard to separate and containerize just like compartmentalize these different parts of myself sure sure i sure. think maybe a good way of looking at my life and the effort i put into it is well i'm trying to find like spaces and interactions and things that allow me to engage and grow and validate like these different facets of who i am mm. including kink including like being an engineer and a mentor and a professional and you know someone who is you know smart and capable and but also like someone who is like kinky and non-binary and bisexual and you no know, person of color and I, I mean i need all of that yeah yeah absolutely a space that can like have enough space for you as a full human. It feels good to me when there are especially ways, and I don't think I'm necessarily using this word right, but like when there are spaces in which I can have and interact in and contribute to an intersectionality of identities and concerns, right? Like it doesn't have to be every identity I have, right? Like I intentionally keep some of like my personal life out of sure. what i bring to work but yeah. when it comes to kink for example nowadays like i value being and get a lot of meaning and ease out of being in spaces that are queer in kink or like highlight and focus on and center people of color in kink right like there are or 
queer people of color in kink. Like, mm-hmm. it, it feels like that feels really good to me. Mm-hmm. That community space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That community space that has a nourishing effect on many of my identities at once, specifically because there are many people who identify along the same facets of my life there mm-hmm. at once, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel seen in the fullness that you are. Yeah. Yeah. Less lonely. Mm, exactly. Yeah, you're not alone in that. That's a good point. Another way to like look out at other faces there and know that other people get what your experience is of the world. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And yeah, I guess we don't quantify it, right? Because like I, I can't relate to you in those ways, you know? But like... Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. there's like a part of me that wrestles between... Something, especially when I was younger, something that I took pride in was being able to relate to a lot of people about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Something that was really important to me when I was a younger person was kind of emphasizing the universality of like certain experiences that people can have and the optimism around like how it could bring people together. Sure. For me, maybe early on was death. I think like the experience of losing someone is something that we can all relate to and maybe a thread that we can find connection in even at our even when we're most opposed to the other person. Yeah. Um and and so I think like I can relate to people. I think that I strive to in every fiber of how I live my life mm-hmm. relate to people. Mm-hmm. I try mm-hmm. to educate myself and be as well-rounded as I can be in order to be able to have meaningful connections and conversations with people about things that they value. But at the same time, like, I mean, the experience I would have relating to, for example, someone who's white is not the same as how an engagement or like a conversation or something with someone who's a person of color would feel. Right. One fills my cup more. And I think that nowadays, like as an older person, maybe I have even more desire and want to be in spaces and close relationships with people who can align to as many facets of my life as possible. You know, I want to meet more kinky people who are non-binary and kinky folks who are queer and folks of color. I want to meet more kinky folks who kind of do the same work that I do Mm. that I can like engage with in this personal part of my life, but also kind of like talk about like, (laughs) I mean, all of the things I go through at work, right? Like it, it feels like meaningful to be able to nowadays as an older person, like do less of the code switching that I unconsciously do when I realize that, you know, we come from different worlds with regards to any particular thing about our life yeah yes and i think the realistic part of it is i have to code switch to some degree with everyone Mm -hmm. but it feels really nice when i have to do less of it sure absolutely absolutely yeah i think the things that are coming up for me i know it was like talking a little bit like you said death right like how at the core of like 
the basic core of human emotions, right? Like grief, happiness, joy, pain, like all of those sorts of things. Like that sort of aspect of the human experience is universal. But I think like the experience with those emotions and the different ways that the culture and bullshit, whatever, makes you experience those emotions is unique to those shared, you know, identity pieces that like I as a white woman cannot understand the lived experience of and therefore relate to you i can relate to you in grief but not that same you know like channel of the emotion i don't i'm trying to find language for this too to describe the way that we relate to people yeah and as we're kind of trying to figure out language like i think i'm constantly emphasizing that like the way in which i relate to people isn't homogenous or even like the ways in which i like expend effort and resources of my own to relate to people isn't it's not uniform among everyone right like i do have a lot of people who are very important to me who are white sure yeah and there are a lot of people who are really important to me who are kinky and a lot of folks who aren't and a lot of folks who are folks of color and folks who are white and folks like from all sorts of like backgrounds i think like as i get older and kind of just find myself with less energy and time and and resources to expend like it is easier for me to just to have time and space and interaction with folks who i have to code switch with less yeah and that doesn't mean that i don't spend time with other people it just means that i myself am a person of finite resources and energy and ability to to do those things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think it's almost like um a shared language sometimes and a shared understanding that allows for a deeper sense of intimacy Mm. in many ways at least i've experienced that just even going through like my grad school program and like the words i now use to describe things now with like my classmates colleagues whatever i have like a different level of communication with them and it's like yeah it's not to like hierarchize put hierarchy into this dynamic of like this intimacy is more important than this one but like they are radically different Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think I'm a lot of what I was reading too of like people of cl- people of color preferring to have therapists that are also people of color. Yeah. I I I currently have a therapist who is a person of color yeah. and that has been definitely a breath of fresh air. Right. I think with therapy and maybe with like these relationships that have purpose or motivator or drive around like being able to see and understand other the other person like it is just helpful to have some strong thread i mean identity is really strong yeah absolutely you know especially nowadays with our political climate and like all of the just seemingly endless arguments that we can have about different ideas in this country like it's definitely easy to say that identity is a powerful thread in which you can connect to somebody Mm -hmm. and it is easy to develop more vulnerability with to have those ingredients go into having more meaningful conversations with people when there is those threads, strong threads, identity threads of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't you think that's being seen? Like the more vulnerable I get, like you, because it is emotions, ideas, words, like 
it's the fact that they like when when you say those words they see them like see you not i'm not talking about like physically like i'm talking about like emotionally cognitively so that when you look at that face and you see them looking at you with their eyes you know that up in their head they see what you're expressing not some sort of you know all the questions that you get from people that ask you all those questions about your identity from when we started right like you know when you look at at those eyes they have a whole different thread of what they understand that to be yeah i i do i i agree with that i do feel seen mm. and it is it's feeling seen and being able to see yourself in other people something that's interesting to me is like i i haven't been to i the last time i went to vietnam so i'm vietnamese i'm yeah. um i was born in the states in florida um and i have gone to vietnam before but i was really young and i think like it's really young in the sense that like a lot of my frameworks nowadays in which i interact with the world and have reservations for or aggressively like show my identity and personality and intentions is i mean like i i didn't have a lot of that experience like back then mm -hmm. or the ways in which i had experiences that shape that worldview were very subtle mm. um and i think nowadays as i think about going to vietnam again i think something that feels interesting to me as a function of my age my experiences my value nowadays in the identities i have but also a function of westernization and industrialization and a growing alternative culture in vietnam is I feel like I could go to Vietnam and just look around and be like, oh, feels really odd and unusual to me that I can look around and see people who look like me in the sense that like they have a lot of the same values and experiences that I had in my life. Mm. It's a big difference, especially that I can look around and these people visually look similar yeah. to, to, yeah, to myself. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that they are also queer and mm. that they are also like, maybe like, just like, I don't know, like any number of like things that I like hold as like my principles Absolutely. and morals and truths, like they have those too. Yeah. I don't get that. <laughs> I don't, I don't get that at all in the States. Like, I mean, at any right. given time, like when I navigate any space I'm in, like it is, you know, a lot of people who don't look like me. And so there is like this, you know. It took me a long time. It took me until I went to therapy to realize that I carry this skepticism, antagonism, like towards every interaction in my life because I navigate my world as somebody who doesn't look like the people around me. Like what happens when I'm all of a sudden plopped in a country where everyone does look like me? Yeah. Like, and identifies along like that spectrum of like experiences and identities I have. I don't know you know like sounds like it would be awesome but I, like i i also like you know whenever i think about it i'm like oh it would just feel weird <laughs> it would feel unusual sure different yeah yeah absolutely different that sounds so incredibly isolating in many ways it is i i think it is in very subtle ways right yeah. and maybe it's easy to talk about the you know I, I I guess I'm reacting to isolating being a 
negative thing oh. and in a lot of ways like yeah. it is a negative experience but more than just being able to talk about whether something is positive or negative like i think like more importantly like it's just shaped the person i am sure maybe it's shaped some of the good things about me and it's shaped some of the things that i am trying to work on right now mm-hmm. shaped certainly aspects of myself that i don't know about yet like, yeah yeah I think it has profound impact on, you know, my growth and development as a person over the years and how I treat like any number of like situations that involve like interactions with human beings. Sure. Even just like individually to myself, like without anybody in the picture, like it shapes like my ambition and like what I want to do myself (laughs) without thinking explicitly about my interactions with other people so right yeah i think that i don't know if i would have ever been able to put the word isolating to my experience when i was a younger person and maybe Mm. nowadays i can but i wouldn't necessarily paint that as good or bad rather i would paint it as well this just created for a very complex TN. Right, right. I mean, standing alone isn't good or bad, right? But it does shape the dynamics of your chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, like, all of these identities feel important to me, and it feels like I strive to think about them as things I bring to the table and interact with each other in very weird ways. Mm-hmm. And I have spent a lot of time, like, I wouldn't say pathologizing, but, like, Mm. thinking, like, very deeply about, like, how my queerness interacts with my kink and how my being a person of color interacts and kind of being projected, like, all of the stereotypes and effects of being a person of color, maybe, like, specific to my race, like, being a model minority, like, has interacted with my sexuality and... The ways in which I present myself. And I think a lot about like even just how all of these come together in really odd ways to affect my attachments and my, mm. you know, what I tend to do with mm. people in different settings and scenarios. And, I, and it just feels, feels complicated. Yeah. At all times, it feels like it is, you know, a very entropic like set of interactions. And it's very hard to like calculate with a high degree of probability, like how these things are going to bump into each other and synergize or cancel each other out or like affect each other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm getting a ton of like chemistry metaphors of just like a lot of different pieces in the equation and the reaction Hmm. that you can like know predictably this piece, you know, does this, this piece does that. But when you throw all 20 in, you kind of like... Yeah, I I haven't really gotten to a place yet where I'm able to not only, like, figure out how, like, fully, like, the whole picture of how they intermingle with each other, Mm. but I also, like, haven't really figured out any maybe, like, consistent tools in which to reframe or develop perspective that allows me to make better decisions. Mm. I think I have some. Yeah. I think, like, I have grown as a person who's able to 
do something differently and do something that allows me to have more of what I desire or seek out. But like, I think like, I'm still at this part of my life and expect that I would be for a very long time where I'm just aware of it Mm. and not aware of the answers and extent of those interactions, but aware that there's complexity there. Mm. It's like being aware that there is a fog of war in which like all of these things like play out in very weird ways. Sure, 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 sure. So you like, you know, your periodic table, but you don't understand how they interact yet. Mm hmm. Yeah. Or when they show up. Right. That's a really, <laughs> it's a very chemistry appropriate, like, no thing to put out there. Like, maybe I know what elements exist on the table, but I don't yet know all of the rules and constraints in which they bond together and interact <sighs> with each other or are repelled by each other. Organic chem. So you've got gen chem oh one God. and two is done. <laughs> my, so painful. You didn't like Orgo? I was not an Orgo person. I, I struggled with Orgo. Really? I excelled at inorganic chemistry and at physical chemistry. Okay. That, so yeah. kind of like things that like were maybe more formulaic and had less mm. no less constraints on like sure. and need for spatial reasoning. Like I, I think like with Orgo and synthetic chemistry, I really, really struggled. I really mm. struggled with being able to like feel like I can apply consistently what I was learning. Whereas with inorganic chemistry and things that were maybe more mathematical, yeah, like it was easier to go in and be like, ah, I can make sense out of this and like, like create a story that allows me to like really not just like know about this, but know this. Interesting. I wonder, like, you probably took in inorganic chemistry. It's like that's where you learn about like covalent bonds. Oh yeah, but that was Gen Chem. I felt like I covered all that stuff in yeah, Gen Chem one and two. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But I definitely didn't take physical chemistry. Yeah, that was like the next in the sequence. Maybe I. I mean, I'm so far removed from chemistry, but sure. maybe what I mean is like not organic chemistry. Sure. When I say inorganic, which is which is crazy because like hot inorganic chemistry versus like you're an organic human and you're trying to figure out like how your stuff interacts. And so mm-hmm. like maybe the question is like it's not going to follow the rules of inorganic chemistry and have like mathematical equations mm-hmm. and you're like searching for them and you're not going to find them because like there is none to be found it's just a complex set of variables like organic chem where it's like what's the shape dynamic and the probability of this and the probability of that and then make my best guess of like what's going on here yeah i think even with my identities like i Mm. do like to think about my identities like singularly and as concerns that are aligned with no that particular thing Mm. sometimes but i and sometimes that's helpful and sometimes like a good way to frame what I'm trying to understand because it is something that gets me to an answer into meaningful like part of the truth more quickly. Yeah. But it's also helpful to think about them in very intersectional ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like it's helpful to as best I can think about a lot of the problems in my social justice sphere in intersectional ways sure absolutely absolutely both are both can be true Mm -hmm. yes and right yep that is always the answer yes yes and yes and Mm, i want to ask you about polyamory and how you understand it within the dynamics of 
all the things that we've been talking about. I, yeah. I, I think like even when you were talking about orgone shapes, I was thinking about that, like, a, yeah. like applying those dynamics. And I mean, people already have, right? Like polycule, whatever, but like also thinking about how like, you know, like carbon, whatever had like four bonds it can make. I don't know. Wasn't that something like it was? And like thinking about that in terms of people and like the amount of relational space they have to connect. Mm. And like, I wonder how like some, some people have like a ton of relational space and other people really don't just interesting to think about yeah i uh you know as soon as you said i want to talk with you about polyamory or non-monogamy i was like oh shit (laughs) i i I think like when i introduced myself and said hi i'm tian i'm this kind of person this kind of person this kind of person i didn't describe i I don't think i said non-monogamous um i am a non-monogamous person but that is really a way of I think, like, the truth there, the truth in the advertising is, like, I am a non-monogamous person, and I don't think it comes very intuitively to me. Whereas, like, kink is intuitive and innate in the sense that, like, as long as I've been breathing, I've known that about myself and can't avoid that. Like, it's, like, I, I, I was that whether I decided to participate in or chase it down or not. Like, I think non-monogamy was really something that I made a conscious decision to pursue, Mm. to engage in, to practice. Yeah. And because of that, it is neither intuitive nor, like, oftentimes even, like, kind of, like, the thing that I lead with Mm. um, in terms of describing and narrating, like, my experience. Interesting. Even though it's something that is incredibly important to me nowadays and has, like, maybe more bearings on like how I practically and the logistics of how I live my life than anything else. I forgot the question. Yeah. I didn't really give you one to be honest. I just mm. said, I want to talk about it. So like you're fully fair to not have remembered anything. Yeah, I, I, I think that non-monogamy is very not intuitive to me. I, that- I say that to a lot of people. I say that to people i'm on dates with i say that to my partner i say that to like my polycule i say that to a lot of folks and that's what i wanted to ask like from hearing you say that i wanted you to like extrapolate a little bit more of like what do you mean that it's not intuitive to you what does that mean for you so i think as a bit of history i was so i came into kink when i was 18 knew for a long time that i was going to do it right Started going in munches, eventually found myself in gay leather, identified as a gay man, like eventually stopped identifying as a gay man and started identifying as bisexual and found myself in this corner of the scene that had people from other maybe non-gay men walks of life who were around and practicing non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And I, as somebody who, you know, has identified as kinky for a long time, one of the kind of like traditions and practices and conventions of being in that scene is like playing with a lot of people and sometimes like being very open about like dating other people. And I think like in this way, like I think these folks just put a name to it and like they said, well, this could be non-monogamy this could be less into the word polyamory like this could be that practice and this is what it looks like Mm -hmm. and so i think 
as part of someone who is interacting in the scene and playing with other people and trying to have meaningful connections and interactions with people of varying degrees of intensity, like I was someone who maybe like started identifying as non-monogamous by necessity Mm -hmm. because I would start dating someone who had a partner already or I would play and like, you know, there is a part of my life where I date a lot of couples. Like I was, I was a third to a lot of couples, both sexually and romantically. And I, I think like when I, walked away from those collective experiences over time over and over like more and more like people would ask are you non-monogamous i'm like uh yes <laughs> i think yes yeah 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 like i mean like i definitely do a lot of like the same things that they do and i think it wasn't until i was in a very intentional and committed relationship with one person mm-hmm. for a long time specifically tk mm-hmm. where i started thinking more about okay what does non-monogamy actually mean to me what are the things that are great about it where the things are painful about it and i guess like it wasn't like i was not thinking about that before mm-hmm but I now was thinking about it from the perspective of, okay, I do, I am with someone who yeah. feels very fulfilling and stabilizing to me. Like, this is a different vantage point than I was in than before. As someone who ran around like a ragamuffin, like, sometimes, <laughs> no, playing with and being in relationships with other people who are committed to other, like, to other folks, like, I, I think, like, there was less maybe individual commitment from myself. Mm. Now that I'm in a place where I do have a lot of commitment, it feels like I am in a different part of the room than I was before. Sure. Yep. And can ask more questions painfully <laughs> sometimes <laughs> like about what non-monogamy means to me mm. and what it looks like for me, where the things are easy, hard, enjoyable, painful. So, What does non-monogamy mean to you? I think it's a lot of things to me. I think individually to myself, maybe kind of like with an area of impact that is narrower to just myself, the inside of a blooming onion. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think it is a way for me to have a lot of needs and not put all of that on one person and to have like a greater surface area in which I can engage in those experiences and come out on the other side feeling like I'm getting what I need. Yeah. Well, that doesn't necessarily feel intuitive to me, but I think like it is something that I believe in and engage in and strive to chase as like an effect to myself. Mm. And then no less important and possibly more important than that is it is a practice that allows for more networking and foundations to be developed between the people who are important to me in my life. And maybe mm-hmm. a easier way of saying that is it's a way to build community. Sure. Absolutely. But maybe if I were to click into that, like building community is not just having people around who 
mean a lot to me and will show up in a pinch for me. It mm-hmm. is having people who kind of like holistically, in very complex ways, interact with each other, sometimes way too complex ways, <laughs> interact with each other and also show up for each other. Mm. Right? It is a way to have not only support for myself, but support for the people who are important to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And... My research work I was reading, it's a little bit, obviously, relationship anarchy, a little bit in a different direction, but all in the same sort of sphere. Dean Spade was talking about how, like, a lot of queer relationships, relationship anarchists will create, like, family and, and, you know, family, community to kind of without our biological family being there for that relationship, like, feeling that, feeling that relational need through a chosen family structure, a community that we create. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, and I would say, so yes, like whether it's family or community, like, you know, we, we talk about like, we've talked about today, like the multitude of different ways to approach something. It is one way in which I, yeah, Tian, approach community building. Yeah. And there's a lot of other ways too. Like, I think like, no to our point of like the complexity of things before like i i think like when i think about like queer traditions in history like queer people seek out community with each other and when i think about like gay leather it was a way for people to come together and like even at times use the word family leather family to like refer to their commitment and relationships with each other Mm. and I think, like, non-monogamy is just, like, another way that I use to pursue community mm-hmm. and community building and having that kind of interconnected web of people who can not only look out for me, but look out for each other. Yeah. It's very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You don't agree? <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I feel like I'm flubbing my words <laughs> now, but I... um. Yeah, I think it is beautiful. It's painful. Ugh, it's like, it's it's complicated. It's, you know, non-monogamy is kind of just, it's really tedious. Mm, tell me more. In what ways? Well, it's expensive. When I was younger, <laughs> when I was younger and I was brushing up against it for the first time, I was like, in this economy, like, with <laughs> my job, like, people have time for that. Like, That's fair. It's, yeah. I guess, like, it the real thing was like i would look at like these non-monogamous communities and i think as partly as a result of that time like i didn't see anyone who looked like Mm. me like they were all older they were all white like they were all like heteronormative and i was just like well like the reason why y'all do this is because you have the time and energy to do so yep like it's expensive i like i'm working two jobs like i can barely like feed myself let alone like feed like split the bill on like three dates in a week like i don't have time for that like i don't have time to like see other people or the money to see other like multiple people Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a good point it's expensive not in terms of just financial resources but it's expensive in terms of like time energy yeah resources. and i still kind of feel that way nowadays i'm like y'all we are we are creating a lot of problems <laughs> Wait, what? we're creating a lot of problems by like putting ourselves in this like very complex web of interactions like 
in what way i guess i mean like i i mean i think about my polycule bless you all like tk <laughs> caleb makey like i and i think about like i mean like at times i'm like what the fuck are we doing like <laughs> You know, like, we're making this complex for us. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, this is this is all our own doing. Like, sure. it is all, like, we all sat down together and it was like, yep, let's do this. And, like, it all is, like, this kind of, like, stew of, like, interesting, complex, sometimes very painful interactions mm. together. And at the same time, it is beautiful, fulfilling, maybe, like the highs are higher and become worth those valleys that you traverse through sure sure but there is a practical part of me that also says like y'all it's so expensive and it's so tedious (laughs) and you have to have so many conversations and fuck you have to know yourself a lot better it would be nice if i didn't have to know myself that much (laughs) like that's you have to know yourself really really well and like the bar is infinitely high like it's, very it's a horizon and an asymptote that you never get to like and it's painful and it's tedious and it's expensive and we decided it was a good idea <laughs> and it yeah. is i like and it is right, right exactly right it's like it's yes and right, right. it's like kind of like, like the whole thing we were talking about earlier it's like it's newtonian and quantum like it's yes a lot of work a, there's a lot of logistics to it of the ways that different people come together the different interactions between that yeah but it also has such a beautiful gift and loving i don't even you know yeah. whatever words you choose to describe this experience it gives both right i mean beds aren't designed for that yeah. like and it's just calendars like aren't designed for that like it's it's a lot and yeah. it's it's also just yes it is also important and meaningful to me yeah it doesn't have to be meaningful to other people yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not the yeah. right thing for a lot of people yeah i don't know how you th- i'm all i do is shout out metaphors i guess like all day long but i've always thought about like the ideas of polyamory and monogamy as a the metaphor of like having kids mm-hmm. right like you could choose to never have any kids you could choose to have five kids when you choose to have five kids it's a lot more work that is just a logistical reality right mm-hmm. more time more money more energy we're not in any way going to say that having five kids is less like meaningful than having no kids you know if dare i might say the opposite you know mm-hmm. what i mean like having five the, those relationships are more meaningful but like it does take realistic time energy yeah it does and i i mean i think it's just it's just another way of how to do things exactly yeah it's cool to also not be in any relationships with people shout out to all my single people or people who are like aromantic asexual Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. who no don't want any of these models i i mean i think it's all fine yeah absolutely we just kind of like picked hard mode (laughs) like yeah i think the thing i try to like think about and I know you're not doing this even, but like even using the language to describe that where like it doesn't put it into the context of like polyamory being like the higher thing. Do you know what no, I mean? Yeah. Like, and I know you're not trying to do that and I'm not trying to do that, but like 
trying to like find language that does describe it that doesn't put it at this like well it's the higher echelon that if you really understood yourself and knew how to work with jealousy you would know how to do do you know what i mean yeah which i hear sometimes within like at least spaces i mean like that was the big thing when i was younger was i was like that feels so privileged because i can barely afford to feed myself right now right yeah let alone like have kids and then go to my partner's place right and like right 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 you know right. and it just like it felt like that doesn't feel good right like it is a way to have pers- i mean it's it's a perspective and an approach to how to have romantic and platonic relationships with other people and sexual relationships with other people but yeah. it's not any greater than or less than i mean like that the notion that like these are tiered or like yeah i mean i feel like that especially does disjustice to the ace community or to folks who are aromantic like and that is a very valid way of like living your life right like it is it doesn't really paint the reality of hey these are truly we made all of this shit up yeah (laughs) like like these are you know in my book like they're all equally bad choices like (laughs) or they're all equally good but just many different good choices (laughs) they're all equally bad Yeah, they're all equally horrible choices. That's funny. That's yeah. really funny. I think at least that's something I have struggled with. Mm-hmm. This like sense that like, and I have felt this from people before in my own relationships of like, if I'm not doing polyamory, I'm not somehow understanding myself well enough um, and confident enough and then secure in myself and secure in myself. Yeah. I felt that. I, um was on hinge recently and uh they give you this option now of kind of like describing what you're looking for yeah and uh i messaged this person because i thought this was interesting and they didn't message me back which is cool like yeah no shout out to them but um (laughs) no they described themselves as ambi romantic and ambi romantic in the sense that they could be non-monogamous or they could be monogamous Mm. And I guess, like, there isn't, like, when it comes to, I, I mean, I hear you on, hey, I felt bad that I couldn't do this, right? Or, like, if I wasn't doing this, like, I think there's this reality that, like, not only do you have this access of very equally valid, or in my words, equally bad <laughs> decisions that people can make. Sure. Like, but there is also this additional axis of, and you could make this decision now and have a different decision at another part of your sure. life, yeah. or like make a different decision in another circumstance. Right? A lot of this is circumstantial. Like, very true. I think that like even me, like kind of being involved in King since I was eighteen, like a lot of that was circumstantial. Like I was around the right people the right settings i could have gone to a munch like mm-hmm, someone could mm-hmm. have like spilled a whole plate of pasta on me i yeah. would have hated it i would have never gone back and yeah, i would yeah, just be like life. i don't want to have like pasta sauce on my shirt anymore. Yeah. like it's important to think about it as not just like oh this is who i am but it's also this is who i am right now but right. it's not necessarily who i always am or who i could be or who i've been in the past sure Sure, sure. Like, I think, like, when, at least for me, 
projecting onto you your quip there like i think what brings me a little bit more ease is that there's an impermanence to all of these things not only are they equally valid equally bad decisions but like there is also like an impermanence with which i navigate those decisions over the course of my life and Mm -hmm. what i favor and not favor or practice and not practice yep 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 and then the question is like as somebody who's been gay and then bisexual like it's you know i'm allowed to make that decision for myself and no describe myself that way Uh uh-huh uh-huh 100 percent. yeah and then i think the beauty is then in finding like community who can hold that level of like space for you Mm -hmm. because i guess the person i was thinking of like it didn't like when i was bringing up my dynamics of how i was feeling navigating the polyamory versus monogamy question it felt like that kind of space wasn't helped for me describe that to me um like (laughs) so you know the dynamic with I guess I don't usually say people's names, but my lot let the male in my life that I've been chatting with. Yeah. Me saying that, like, you know, I'm not sure if I'd want him to be sleeping with other people and her being like, well, you need to check your jealousy with that. And so, like, it being a dynamic where, like, that space wasn't held. We're like, what if I did want to go back to a sort of sexually fidelitous dynamic i i don't i don't will never use the word monogamous it doesn't feel right to me and i feel like a relationship anarchist will always be the identity piece for me but like that dynamic with someone in the poly community came back to me and said well then you something's wrong with you and you haven't worked on your jealousy and then so i think it's yeah like how can i yeah find the right community people like you right who i spend more of my relational intimacy with that like can hold that kind of space because i think sometimes within Even our own community, it's not there. I mean, I think language is important and tone is important. And I think check your blank is aggressive, abrasive. Yeah. I I don't know. There's a way to like interpret it literally and say, hey, check this and think about it. Yeah. And maybe the outcome is still going to be the same. Yeah. You know, I and I hear this. I want to emphasize that like. The tone here is aggressive. Yeah. But maybe what I'm saying is that it's another ingredient to think about with the decision that you make. And maybe it's not something that changes that decision or even what you want. Yeah. But it's something that informs an understanding of it. Sure. And that gives you a bigger perspective on the picture. Yes, always. Perspective is good. 100%. Yeah. I think if someone told me to check my jealousy, I would probably be annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because that's the thing, though, is, like, you can want a sexually fidelitous relationship. I don't even know if that's necessarily what I want. Like, yeah. um, I think I th- that's possible. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, 100%. Oh, it's right. possible to want that. I mean, yeah. Yes. Equally um, bad decisions. All <laughs> equally valid and equally bad decisions. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's more of, like, the time, energy, space. I mm-hmm. think that that was a hard thing exploring dynamics with people that are in polycules right like even we at a brief point like explored a dynamic between us and i've explored dynamics between people in the polycule right like it's it's interesting to like see the amount of relational space that is open mm-hmm. to connecting yeah i and when you say relational space you mean re- relational space to connect in 
romantic or sexual or platonic relationship or relational space as in space to hold your experiences, your wants, your desires. Just time. Time. Oh. Like just time. Like I remember. Yes. I remember like trying to like have a date with Caleb and like he being like, oh, it's going to be like three weeks or something. Oh, yeah. And like that's hard to hear. Like then you're like to like conceptualize like, oh, and obviously whatever, you know, you can make your own dynamics as well but like it's hard to conceptualize a relationship where like it takes like scheduling out three weeks of time yeah i'm at this weird part of my life where (laughs) that's a reality for me too i mean it's like yeah what is time even finite resource is what it is (laughs) part of the pandemic where time seemed really silly no i i hear you though yeah i i think like that is what shapes a lot of my views on non-monogamy and i think the reason why we're here talking about this is specifically is because it is an equally bad there it is like it is it is rough maybe that's why i'll make the title of the episode polyamory is an equally bad decision yeah it's an equally bad decision to everything else yeah compared to everything else have you heard of alan de bottom I think mm-hmm. is how you say his name. He's like a philosopher that has the school of life um, that writes on relationships and other sorts of stuff like this. And like he says the same thing. He was like, it's all crap. Like you're either going to get relationship and monogamy where you get bored and, you know, whatever. And, you know, but that's your dynamic or you deal with an open relationship, have more sexual fulfillment and other like, I mean, this is very regressed. Right. But mm. this is his view of what he says. And sometimes he said things that are not very poly affirmative. I will throw that out there in interviews I've seen on him. But um, he'd say, like, oh, yeah, or you can do polyamory and, like, you'll deal with jealousy and other things but have a lot of, like, excitement and novelty and other sorts of stuff. But – which I think is too regressive of a statement to say at all. But I think the point being that he agrees with you that they're all just different bad choices, you know? <laughs> I, 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 I want to call them all good choices, just different choices. Yeah. No. It is my glass half-empty kind of gal. Um, (laughs) yeah i can feel it (laughs) yeah 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 no it is there is validity in each of these i mean like something i strive for and something i feel is positive is like being able to see these decisions as valid Mm. even if they're not things that i personally pursue or like want to have in my life i think like there are times where i feel a lot of antagonism like i think sometimes i do look at straight people i'm like wow but you're making like a really bad decision. Like this is like this is like a particularly bad decision. But no, I no, I think it's all fine. I think all, all of it being like We're the- all doomed anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's about the consciousness, I think, of the construction is my thing. Like I know the multi amory podcast had like an episode on conscious monogamy. Have you heard that term? No. Some people who have gone through like the poly and then like come back and like wanting to have another term that kind of emphasizes this idea of like using that level of consciousness of like freely crafting. I guess it kind of sounds like relationship anarchy in some ways, right? Maybe some ideals pieces of it, but yeah, I you know it, it's kind of interesting to me because like I I wouldn't necessarily like use the term like conscious non monogamy. Yeah, I I think like. There isn't like a direction of the stream or of a waterfall here, right? Like, that's a good point. Like, it isn't like consciously going in one direction while unconsciously falling in the other direction. Like, I don't think that 
there's gravity here by any means. Like, sure. I wouldn't describe so. any of us as like I wouldn't describe any of us as pursuing conscious non-monogamy. Sure. Um, I would say in some ways yes, though, because right. But I wouldn't use those words. Yeah, right. It, yeah, Rather, I think paradigm. that they are toggles for a light like yeah. sometimes the light is on and it makes sense to have it on and sometimes the light is off and it makes a lot of sense to have the light off i think that's why like that word can be romantic like mm. felt interesting to me it's because it felt like well as like a when i think of other words that use this prefix of ambi like ambidextrous or mm. you no know, ambivert like i think like it brings like in the quality and a same plainness to like the possibilities sure. and that they might be that the state in which someone sits might change over time mm. like hearing the word ambiromantic sounds to me and i feel like i might be making up this word i feel horrible <laughs> if i'm making up this word and like people call me out on the internet and I'm like what the fuck, fuck are you yeah. talking about <laughs> um but uh it feels interesting to me because like puts agency in people sure in i like the it, yeah. framework and yeah. decisions that they make and how they want to pursue that part of their life right like i could be monogamous i couldn't be non-monogamous it really depends and i can make any decisions about that like at any point in my life i like that term i'm resonating a lot with it personally yeah i i i'm very worried that i'm making it up mm. and if not i mean that's why yeah. i like relationship anarchy actually for my dissertation i've been i told you i've been doing my actual lit mm. review and doing it i was reading some pieces from other writers other thinkers and they were talking about how like you could be a monogamous relationship anarchist or polyamorous and like it's not you know, it's not like just because you're relationship anarchy, you couldn't have monogamy. And yeah. just because you're relationship anarchy doesn't mean you could have polyamory because there's primaries in that sort of dynamic too. So mm -hmm. it was like interesting to think of that, um, having that sort of space to like have like, oh, I'm here, this identity up here, which means I could engage in mon monogamy or polyamory, but like still have the same ideals in either one. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, uh, yeah, something like you said, and be romantic. Yeah. Being able to do that sort of thing too, where like I'm able to engage in like both modalities and yeah, got it. I hope I'm getting it right. <laughs> if not, you just created a term, which is exciting. Yeah, I mean, I I think for me it's like you know at the end of the day, like we're much squishier than like the language and yeah, that's true. Ways in which we describe these frameworks, I think they're helpful starting points, but you know we're it's just much more chaotic and mm -hmm. entropic than that mm -hmm. like it is like you know even as like a kinky person i'm just like you know all of these concepts like you know ds like bondage like snm like it is truly all made up it is right up here all yeah. made up in our heads like we created this like fairy tale world that is important and meaningful and no like it it's incredible and something i need but i'm also like i'm we're just making this up as we go along mm -hmm. like at the end of the day like where these things fall down as lines in the sand are going to be washed over by like the reality of how we in very complicated ways interact and connect with each other Absolutely. and bring like 
wild shit to the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's like the deconstructionist view to everything is that, yeah, language is a set of symbols that we've created with meaning that we then use to communicate with other people about more meaning that we make, and then we've just... And this, and this is why cats are not stressed, because they do not have this complex set of all this sort of stuff that has made meaning that we sit over here and think, do I fit in this word or that word? You know, like, that is just... I mean, your cat is licking her crotch right now, so I would chalk this all up to equally bad decisions. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But I think she's less cosmically stressed, is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, I was when I was out by the lake today, I saw some geese, you know, and I was just like, "What are they thinking about? Like their life's like much simpler. It's like you know, I I eat, I poop, I fuck, you know, <laughs> like." And we do the same things, but like add like a whole system of meaning layer language on top of it that we can like sit over here and like be, uh, you know, philosophers and just like mm-hmm. dig deep yeah. into, which is fun and also creates a lot of complex webs for us, as you said throughout this entire time. So, yeah, well, yeah. I was hoping that you were going to bring up today and I don't know if you did and I don't know if we have time to talk about it. I, yeah. I can talk for as long as you want, but yeah. I was hoping you were going to bring up was how do kink and BDSM and maybe specifically within BDSM DS create (laughs) complexity Um, because it's something that I don't think it's something interesting in that it's come up for me personally, but it's hard to understand how it's come up for other people. Mm. It's hard to understand like how people have talked about it broadly across like different communities and practices and stuff and i think i don't know that's I just time. i'd love to talk about it and you kind of got to guide me though because like i don't know how to guide you into this topic yeah i think um you know something interesting that's come up as a brush between the non-monogamous part of my life and the parts of my life where i'm kinky maybe specifically submissive and wanting enjoying craving power exchange in my romantic relationships is this idea of belonging Mm -hmm. right like i think like a lot of folks who are into ds will you know say use words like oh that illustrate like some kind of like belonging or ownership or Mm. you know I don't know, like a giving of, I mean, it's all power exchange. So it's all like I am giving a lot of my agency, some of my, not necessarily agency, like I'm giving, I'm giving you some of my power. Sure. And I think it becomes complicated with non-monogamy at the very least, like as like a submissive person being like, oh, like. How do I have two people own me? And what if they say different things? Mm. And like, what if like, I want both things? Like, what if they're both valid? And like, how do I, like, I don't know. It's like, it's more hoops to navigate. Interesting. Um, I think I had this at, no, maybe like very specific part of my life, but I, it was, it was difficult to navigate and have these concepts like interplay with each other. Because it seemed like there was like some kind of like cognitive dissonance on either end. Interesting. Could you tell me an example of this sort of dynamic of like the cognitive dissonance between it sounds like the sub dynamic and the 
non-monogamy dynamics of ownership and the power dynamics between that? Yeah, maybe like a really easy, concrete example of it is around chastity, which is fetish activity around having your or being prevented from having sex, becoming sexually aroused, or like having like restrictions or constraints that sometimes it's physical, maybe a lot of times it's physical, maybe a lot of times it involves locking. Sometimes it's solitary, but I think most of the time, by convention, it's with another person. What do you mean by locking? So, like a belt. The, it could be a belt. Okay. Yeah. There. So there's a lot of devices out there throughout history and currently sold on the market. Back in like medieval days, like you actually see a belt and like a belt with a lock and nowadays i think they still sell those things i think they do yeah um nowadays like yeah i don't know they still have like physical devices that lock and prevent access to your junk sure and that's like a very physical form of chassis but i think chassis is also like you know like you just tell someone you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to like touch yourself or you're not allowed to like no have sex Without my permission. I mean, monogamy is like the biggest example of chastity kink. Well, maybe chastity is done as a like an activity to like satisfy an itch, like and maybe like bring sexual arousal as part of that, as part of whatever that approach is. Sure, which is which is not necessarily what monogamy is. The kink of monogamy can be, though, for sure. I had this really great conversation with another, like, um, therapist and Tom doctor who was like, monogamy is kinky as fuck. And then I, like, thought about that more, and I was like, it totally is. Like, if I come to my partner, I was like, no one else in the world can touch you. No one else gets this, you know? And, like, having that sort of, like, kink to it. I think that's fair. I, that's I, not the lens most people no, no, take to monogamy. I, I, no, I think that's not the lens that most, <laughs> most people... Most people are like, get me out of this. You know, no, like... <laughs> no, I think, I think, I mean, like, most people are like, maybe like, approach monogamy from, again, like a state of, this is just what I want to do at this very moment. Right. But um, I think like, they say, well, I don't want you to have sex with other people because I'm maybe it stems sure. from like a sense of safety or... Yeah. Not necessarily insecurity. I might surprisingly take like a positive tilt to this and say that like bring safety or yeah. assurance or like less complexity or maybe like, I, I don't yes. know, it could be any yes. number of things, right? But yes. like, I mean, this is like a perfect way to talk about its complexity with non-monogamy. Sure, yeah. Like as somebody who really likes someone to say that to me. To say what? To say, you know. I'm the only one who can get you off or, you know, only I'm allowed to touch you. Yes. Or like, you know, you're not allowed to like, no, experience this unless like I give the go ahead. Like, well, how do you do that with agreements and maybe like differing levels of commitment with different people? Mm, People do do this, right? Like a primary, like like giving that sort of primary hierarchy energy of like, I will not make another agreement unless you do. So some people do do this, don't they? The problem with that, right, is the thought that like it 
it's not fair to the other people in the dynamic, right? Like the person that is being controlled by the primary's power. Like it is not fair to the equal like autonomy and like full humanness of. Yeah, maybe the complexity that I specifically bring to the table, unfortunately, to my own demise, is that I, one, pursue romantic relationships almost entirely, and I would say nowadays, like, entirely as DS relationships. Mm. Like, I want that. I need that. I crave that. It's possible, not very easy to have it without that. And I do want the people that I date and have sex with and, like, are romantic with to have this sense of ownership over Mm. me, for lack of a better word. I think, like, that's a fine word, maybe a strong word to use now. Like, but, but how do I do that? How do I do that with then multiple people? I think, like, there's a practicality where I can treat it as a timeshare. Um, you know, that's you gotta, true. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like the timeshare owner gets to decide when they want to go on family vacation there, but like the rest yeah. of the time gives it out to other people that are in that location. Right. Like I'm like a car An rental Airbnb. or something. An Airbnb. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you started this. I'm just with you on the. Metaphors. I was about to go to Blockbuster. <laughs> okay. I, like you gotta rent me and then you gotta return me and you gotta rewind. But that me. doesn't fit the same as like yeah, an Airbnb or does like no, or, yeah. No, or, I'm sure also Blockbuster might be lost to no a number of people in exactly. a younger generation yeah, now. You'd but, be surprised on like, the demographics of the podcast. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm I'm absolutely sure. But um, but yeah, I I think that. I it's it's I see what you're saying. To I'm know. totally with you. And I think like maybe there's a world where two people you know want to maybe have conflicting views or perspectives or approaches to what that ownership might look like. What that ownership model might look like. Sure. Or I I mean like I think ownership is thinking about like the capital D left side of the slash to the lowercase s right side of the slash but maybe like Wait, what what does that mean well d slash s like dom sub yes but like the capital thing that you just like embarked upon by convention we tend to write d as capital d and so when i say ds yeah you hear two letters but by convention when you see it written out in different places maybe in classes education like on the internet in various forms like people tend to write it out as capital d yeah slash lowercase s as a way to dom you know you and me both buddy like like as lowercase as a way to yes right (laughs) that's cute i kind of like i do i mean there's like a convention for a lot of people especially like people who come from like the early days of the internet where they will capitalize like whenever they're using pronouns to describe themselves like my or like our or you like whenever they're using these pronouns they'll similarly capitalize or not capitalize those Mm. so like i think like there are a lot of like i it's like a play with language no i wouldn't necessarily describe all of these people as old school doms but like i think that there is like it was there's a point in time where it was common to see people write something out and like no capitalize the m in my even if it wasn't the first 
word in mm-hmm. a sentence mm-hmm. and do it very consistently. And what they were like emphasizing was like, I am the one who has power. In sure, this sure, sure. Yeah, through the like the capitalization. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I see what you're saying. I am really like struck by this dilemma of like power structures within your kink erotic desires. You and me both. Yeah, demise equally bad decisions. Now it's like kind of like bad decisions (laughs) compounding other bad decisions. (laughs) Well, like okay, so like I'm just thinking about this. So like, you would like someone who has you said ownership over you to a degree. So I, I I think like maybe a way for me to frame it is that I am not the only one who runs into this. I think that maybe the values that I I chase in both non-monogamy and in kink, like, mm-hmm. kind of bring a lot of complexity to the table. Sure. So what might those values be? Like, well, I value agency on in non-monogamy. I value a co-contributed dynamic. Mm-hmm. I value, you know, agreeing on having something and collaboratively being able to pursue manifesting that thing Mm -hmm. right like and on kink side i think specifically with ds i value a sense of ownership and a sense of belonging to somebody belonging like i think it's hot more than just being hot it's meaningful Mm -hmm. and i value similarly people's agency and desire to pursue what they're looking for and so i think then how do i have this sense of belonging and ownership where by nature of ownership, that means that I will do a lot of the stuff that you tell me to do. Mm -hmm. And I will give you a lot of like the power that I have as an exchange in the name of meaning and eroticism. And just the way I want to like have this relationship with you. But then how do I do it? in this complex web of people where I, at the very least, like maybe have to consider someone else Mm -hmm. and what we agree to in terms of like ownership and autonomy and agreement and commitment and belonging and et cetera. Like for me, like it was difficult. It was interesting and difficult trying to navigate this conversation about chastity because I think I was kind of really lucky that these two people knew each other, but what if, they didn't know each other Mm. like what if there is a lot of like opportunities for people to step on each other's toes and for folks to get come out on the other side becoming hurt and Mm. or being hurt by their experiences and by what happened in these complex interactions like Mm. i i i think that it is i mean like at the end of the day like it just takes a lot of communication it was really hard (laughs) but i think that when i feel like maybe specifically for me navigating ds as a submissive person it is ever more difficult to do so because i also identify as a non-monogamous person yeah and maybe for me as someone who navigates non-monogamy it is especially feels like for me specifically it's especially more difficult to do so because i really want ds romantic sexual relationships with other people as a submissive person and it Mm. makes it complicated 
to navigate that and navigate like i i mean i think looking at ds and bdsm at large like a lot of the concept here is restraint a lot of like what sits at the heart of like these things that we do to get us off is like restraint and the overbearingness of like having power over someone whereas like non-monogamy or at least like the values that i place on it is agency and freedom and right the ability to like move around right more readily nimbly to other arrangements other yep. attachments etc like how do like it feels like those values are just coming at odds with each other sometimes which i think 100 percent makes sense because like in a dynamic of dominant submissive there is a power structure and you are engaging in a type of non-monogamy that is trying to avoid power structures like those are just that's just a reality so then you're like you're you're wanting to have a power structure when you're also not you know Mm -hmm. and how you bring those together i don't know i I have no idea but like inherently that's gonna not because i think that's what people talk about um What's the word for, like, um, doesn't even matter, but, like, the primariness in poly, polynormative, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, when, hierarchical? Yes, hierarchical primary relationships. Like, that is a power structure. And you don't want, to, and you haven't been engaging, from what I understand, in, like, that sort of way. So then. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that. There's a lot of ways to approach it. And I think there's a lot of conventions with which people approach it. And like sure. using hierarchical relationships or hierarchy as a way to approach it is again like equally valid, equally yeah. bad, sometimes painful, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> way to approach solving for that problem space. Right. Because monogamy oh. is a hierarchy in and of itself. Yeah, but I think, you know, maybe like what I'm highlighting here is that it is those two interesting worlds and these two kind of like different things that like have brought me a ton of joy individually, like come together in interesting ways that like forces me to like have to solve a problem Mm -hmm. and to have to take an approach and to have to like work with people on what that approach is. You know, I think... There's a ton of ways in which these interactions like intermingle with each other. When you talk about like folks of color and kink, like it is all kind of like very fraught and difficult to navigate these two beautiful things. Like Mm. talk to any kind of like black person in the scene and like they will talk about like the ways in which language in the kink scene can be really painful to hear and experience sometimes. Like people find joy and meaning in using the words master and slave to describe their relationship and ds with someone and imagine like how that feels to someone who's black who hears that right who's black who has grown up in america and knows it as some a place that has a very sad history around slavery right like i think there's just you know i guess like for me like these are really interesting ways in which Mm. identity and each of their kind of like single serving ways are beautiful and gorgeous and 
fulfilling and meaningful like come together to interact in ways that are very complicated mm-hmm. and maybe like no compoundingly like is beautiful and meaningful but creates a lot of like interesting problem spaces that yep. people have to navigate and solve yeah. for mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was very well put <laughs> i don't know about that i mean <laughs> I, I i followed with you i mean i think it's the paradox it's a paradox one of the many of our existence right navigating all of those pieces and like the beauty in that sort of wondrous path that you go on but also the difficulty of that wondrous journey where there is no path already previously like trodden for you to follow mm-hmm. yeah yeah i um yeah maybe for me like these are really specific things that come up for me that i've encountered but i i think like there's beauty and meaning and just like hearing about other people's experiences about how their different identities like come together in odd unpredictable sometimes painful sometimes very beautiful fulfilling ways it's like my one of my biggest goals i think of the podcast is to like host that big enough space to do that for it not to be as like restrictive of anything that someone feels like they can't do that and have a conversation Mm -hmm. yeah so i'd I'd love to do that so like every single episode you're just kind of like diving into a different human's experience Mm -hmm. yeah you know and their lens because i think that's really what every conversation is that i'm having on the space is like here's a look into one way of seeing the world yeah 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 well then i do have to ask you the one question what the one question that i ask everyone on the podcast what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? It's a good question. I, I feel like I have a cop-out answer to that. And it's not like a great answer or maybe a very meaningful answer. <laughs> but like, I think it's an answer that maybe alludes to like a lot of what we talked about today, which is it's very normal to do whatever it is the fuck you're doing. I I think, like, what I wanted to get to was, like, well, you know, these identities I have, whether they are ones that are innate and things that I can't change about myself for reasons or another, such as, like, kink, my identity as a person of color, like, you know, uh, being bisexual, like, or whether it is, like, something that I, like, actively chose to pursue, like, non-monogamy, like, the ways in which I'm like navigating these complex spaces and trying to solve these problems is like both like unique and normal in the sense that like other people have faced it and navigated Mm -hmm. it in similar ways and like have made similar equally valid, equally bad decisions. These ways in which we decide upon how to pursue interactions relationships connections with other people like they're all equally valid like they're all kind of horrible in their own very special ways Mm -hmm. um and also like i don't want to say that like i think something i said before was that there is no kind of upstream downstream of this there's no like tier or hierarchy to this i think that that is not only what i believe but it's something that i wished for For example, like, I wish for in ways that don't make a huge impact on me. Like, I I want, like, people to feel like 
know, monogamy and non-monogamy are equally valid decisions or like a romanticism, like yeah. being ace in its many different variations. Like I want that to be seen as valid, equal decisions. But I think like as a person of color, like, ugh, like if I could live my life, like being seen as equally valid to white folks like that would be dope or as like for folks out there who identify as women like to be seen as equally valid to men would be awesome or to you know anybody else would be awesome so that's all i got we're all weird it's it's like we're all you know we're all kind of terrible too like (laughs) equally horrible smiley face (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I think my thoughts are that, at, like, yeah, in an existential void, like, there is no sense of, like, yeah, the truth of how to live your life, right? And I think that's, I feel like what I'm hearing from you is this, like, space to feel valid for whatever way you show up because it's all truth. Yeah, yes, I think. I think so. Yes, and also... From, like, wanting to have more equalness, I feel like it was also something that you were saying, like, this, like, like a challenging of the power structures that continue to exist within our society. Yeah. Isn't it weird, then, that I'm, like, really into DS and I'm like, oh, yeah, power dynamics exchange. Love it. Chef's kiss. Great. I mean, it also could make sense. Like, here's a way to take back power. Could make sense. Yeah. yeah. Does it though? Yeah. I mean, you seem pretty happy. Am am I? <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Or do I seem miserable? We're all equally miserable. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're a part of the anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.